Today's episode is brought to you by Stage Door Manor. Stage Door Manor is currently accepting applications for their summer theater programs. You can find information and application forms at stagedoormanor.com. This episode is also sponsored by contemporarymusicaltheater.com. Don't you hate it when someone sings your audition song? I mean, don't they know it's yours? Find great songs no one's heard, but every audition pianist can play at ContemporaryMusicalTheater.com. And that's theater with an R-E. Theater People podcast listeners can use the code TPPL for 10% off an annual subscription. So don't sing just any song. Sing something new. Welcome to the Theater People Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Hines. You walk out the door, don't wait by the phone. If this is what you really want, I'm going to show you how it feels to be alone. You guys, I'm basically head over heels in love with today's guest, Shoshana Bean. I have been trying to make this interview happen for years. Shoshana made her Broadway debut in the original Broadway company of Hairspray. She may be best known to theater audiences for being the second actress to ever play the role of Elphaba on Broadway in Wicked, replacing, of course, Adina Menzel. She's also beloved internationally as a recording artist. Her solo albums include O'Farrell Street, Shadows to Light, and Superhero. We finally got to do this interview a few weeks ago when she was in town to star as Judas alongside Morgan James as Jesus in an all-female concert version of Jesus Christ Superstar. As you'll hear me say a million times in this interview, I'm obsessed with her. Here's our conversation. Here we go. Hi, Shoshana Bean. I feel like you. I'm sure you don't remember this, but this is like years in the making. No, nothing, nothing. There's nothing. There's no story other than that. Like have forgotten yeah, exactly it was the most meaningful thing of my life I listen can't my you best friend was reminding me of stories over the weekend that i'm like that happened we did that she's like yes shoshana so you if my best friend is being forgotten totally it's just... no totally i just i sent you an email like years ago because i knew you were in town for like a weekend and we tried to make it work and you were so accommodating but you were just too busy and then so that when i was i found out that you were back in town for jesus christ superstar i had to go through years of emails to find like the chain of emails we had had from like 2014 so did you, you find them? Mm-hmm. Because I didn't want to like blind did email you. Did you send them to me? I did. Oh, I didn't even see. I don't ever scroll down. Oh, good, <laughs> perfect. But I was like, what? I was like, what if she's like, who's this creeper? How do you get oh, my no, email please. address? No, no, Ugh. I'm never like that. Okay. I don't ever. I mean, everyone has my email address. So. <laughs> We're posting it on the website, you guys. Just anybody can have it. <laughs> please, everyone, feel free. This I don't think is your email address, but I think fans would be so shocked to know how many people are like Matthew Morrison at gmail.com. Like, well, yeah, I mean, Harvey that's, Firestein yes. at a. AOL.com. Like, it's hilarious. Jennifer Lawrence at Gmail. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's, yeah, mine is definitely not that. (laughs) Well, let's talk about Jesus Christ Superstar. Okay. What? I know. Whose idea was that? Morgan James. So smart. Yeah. How did, so my best friend is Ellen Marsh. Oh. And she's just obsessed with you. I'm obsessed with her. I think she is a fantastic human being. She's so amazing. Yes. She's like, was the first person when I was like, I want to make a podcast. I went to her and she's like, yeah, I know. She also, like, when I told her, we, uh, we are, we did adopt our daughter through foster care. Mm-hmm. So we didn't know what. Wait, you fostered kind of child- her first? Yeah. Oh my god, my heart. I yeah, can't take it. Well, so we didn't know. We wanted a baby, but we didn't know exactly what we were gonna get. We got literally got a phone call that we were getting a kid like the next day. How old was she when you got her? Four days. Oh my god. I know. I know. I know. It was. It's been beautiful. But oh. Ellen like went on message boards and was like, "My friends have a kid. And, Help like, us out." Totally. Oh my Drove god. around the city for like a day and got us every. Like, literally, we had oh. nothing, and she got us everything. My god. I know. 
Well, th- that's the end of the podcast. I, I can't know. top that. Let's not give her a Tony. She's also a nightmare. <laughs> Your kid or Ellen? <laughs> no, Ellen. Oh, my God. She, that's extraordinary. Yeah, she's oh, an amazing man. person. Anyway, so, what, so how, how did this all, how did it come to be and how did it go? Uh, she texted me like we've never really had a, like a personal relationship we've met and we have so many mutual friends and so many mutual working circumstances with PMJ and with, you know, theater and, and, um, you and Morgan. Yeah. Oh, wow. Doing show. So we've, we've obviously met, but we've never had like a, like she had to get my phone number from someone else. Like we don't have, like, oh, a rela- we didn't have a relationship. So she hit me up and she was like, this is so random, but I had this dream. I literally dreamed of doing, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar and I and you were you were my Judas and I was like yeah I'm down she's like all female and I'm like I'm down this was probably a year and a half ago when she hit me up and then it was a struggle of like getting our schedules to coordinate and mm-hmm. then we had a date and then it was a struggle getting the rights and so then we had to postpone it and so pretty much a year and maybe a half later um the date was the a year later the date was locked in and the cast was locked in and and we were a go um and I was never a fan of the show. I never I, – I'm not like most kids who were raised on it and like yeah. obsessed and know every – I saw it once in, I guess, that 2000 revival or yeah. 1999, whatever Which I thought was so good. Um, and uh, But it never stuck on me. The songs, they just never – and so it, it really was this this experience of learning the music and having to get inside – you know, Judas, I've never really, you always are leaning towards Jesus, you know, when you see the show. Or when I did, I was like, get yeah. this guy. Like, how am I supposed to feel? You're not, I don't feel for you. I don't. So I was like, oh God, I'm in that position now. How do I totally. not just, you know, sing the shit out of this? Am I allowed to swear? Oh, please. Oh, okay. How People do I would be sing? so disappointed if you did it. Okay, well, fuck yeah. Um, how do I sing the shit out of this? But then also like, how do I like figure out what he's, what, what his position is here? Um you know, in two short weeks. I obviously knew we were doing it forever, but I'm horribly uh, procrastinating, Yeah, you know, and didn't really sink into it until probably, I mean, honestly, (laughs) I don't have anything to say, (laughs) but (laughs) I really needed more time to really get my, because we didn't change the keys, you know, we had the guy keys. So it was maneuvering and really choreographing vocally. Like when am I singing in his register? When am I singing in mine? Uh, when am I going up an octave? When am I finding alternative melodies? Because neither of those things work. So it was um, not just about learning melodies and, and putting a song in your body. It was like, it was a real challenge. that together uh the fact that we pulled it off and it was actually a really powerful night it was a powerful experience so there's a lot of um and i'm i'm i i I don't know how people feel about this expression but i mean it from just the depths of my soul there's a lot of girl power happening right now Mm -hmm. which is just the most beautiful thing yeah and i was thinking that that was i wish i could have been there and ellen will just never let it go that i couldn't be there Mm -hmm. but uh (laughs) (laughs) but you know it's that it was that it seems to be um what's in the universe right now it's like women like powerful women coming together and like showcasing what they do and just you know leading us right now did it yeah, feel like that it did but i think what was cooler about it was um I, I just feel like i don't personally thankfully gratefully i've never been in a position where i felt disempowered as a woman i've mm-hmm. never felt 
um, you know, uh, taken advantage of or spoken down to or paid less than, like, I've never just had any other experience than being, you know, just very well respected as a woman. Um, but you don't strike me as the kind of girl that stands for shit. <laughs> no, I mean, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised really? at the things I've laid down and taken. Um, but it, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that in general it comes across that way, <laughs> but you know, we all have our, our, our obviously weaknesses and moments, but I think what's more surprising and I just was at the March in DC and I, um, you know, watched this stuff go on around the world. And I think what's more amazing about it is not like we're proving we're strong and we're equals and we can do what you can do. And we're more than anything, what was the most powerful to me was, um, what, what the love, what we always come with love. We don't come with aggression. We don't come with violence. We don't come with misdemeanor. We come with love. And that's, you know, the proof is in the fact that, you know, from Jesus Christ Superstar to the March, you know, in our production of however many women, uh, everyone was supportive and loving, um, just wiping out the misinterpretation that women are competitive or catty or like backbitey. And then same with the March. It's like millions of people around the world, no property was damaged, no arrests, no violence, no injuries. Um, so I think it's not just that we're strong and we can, you know, do the same things you can do and we should be, it's just more like, look at, um, what we can do when we come together in in love and compassion, which is, I think, a very strong feminine trait. So fucking great. Sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, who directed the Jesus Christ Superstar? Richard Emilius. And he was fantastic. I mean, poor guy. He had two seconds. He was so very organized and like ahead of the game from, you know, from the beginning of the communication. But with the two days we had to work together and by days, I mean, a total of eight hours. Yeah. Um, you know, he just gave me small tidbits of direction and information that just completely shifted my take and really specified things for me. You know, I struggled with like, well, if that's my best friend or if that's what, like, why am I doing this or saying that? Or I'm Jewish, you know what I mean? Um, or I'm like, well, what, what, what what, this death? Like, what is it? You know? And he just would give me these, these small like sound bites and I'm like, Oh, okay. Got it. So he was freaking great. And again, just so supportive, such a like booster. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, he's great. Um, uh, what was I going to ask? Uh, oh, oh, I was thinking because you're this great actress, but also this great like recording artist. And this is like this melding of those two worlds. Is this something you want to do more of? Like a concert? Like yeah. This, you mean? I think, um, I've, 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 did theater obviously for a chunk of time and then I left entirely and was like no 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 I'm only doing my music and recording I don't want anything to do with theater and then I think in the past couple years I think it started with beaches really where I was like I feel like I'm at the point where I've done both exclusively and now I just want to do what lights me up and makes me happy so when projects come to the table if I feel it literally in my heart, if it lights my heart up, then I'm doing it. Whether it's theater or music or teaching or, you know, concerts or whatever it is, it just has to really light me up. I think I learned, um, you know, over the course of many years that, you know, if you can't show up um, with a great attitude and excited and like bring your whole self to it, you, you shouldn't be doing it. And that mm-hmm. that's across the board for me. And it's. Uh, yeah, I'm being redundant, but yeah, Ugh, I'm obsessed with you. <laughs> Can we go back a little bit of course. to like your growing up? Mm-hmm. I was so surprised to find out that you <laughs> weren't like a like considered a prodigy. That you weren't like you know like auditioning for Star Search and like you know. Oh, I did. I did all of those things. Okay, so, I just didn't get any of them. <laughs> well, yeah. like, and then I read you were cast in the ensemble in your high school musical. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. Okay, mm-hmm. so w- when was the moment that you were like? Oh shit! I can sing like that. Uh, like what? 
Well, like the way that you say. <laughs> well, I think it's a. Com- I think it was just like a, um, like a big souffle of a bunch of years of of experience and education and and being not the first choice and and um, having to be stronger and work harder because of that. Um, so I was. Uh, I thought I was a good singer, but there was always someone better than me in school. Really? And then I started taking voice lessons, and then I started training classically. So then I'm like, oh, well, I can do soprano. So then I go to college, and I'm like, um, okay, well, I can belt and sing soprano. Well, so could all the girls in my class. So then I'm like, okay, great. Well, how am I going to be unique or stand out? And then I was like, well, I... I'm like obsessed with soul music and R&B. Like that's what I was raised on. I do have this other thing that I do. So then I just started leaning kind of on that. Um, just bringing more of my own pop and R&B flair to things, which sometimes got me in trouble in college. I'll be honest. Um, and then when I got here, I think that Godspell was the tipping point for me. Even it was the first thing, but also the tipping point because all of those things came together uh-huh. to give me my first opportunity. And your first opportunity and the way you sort of make your name in the city is sort of how you then become. Yeah. It's hard to yeah, un- yeah, yeah. unteach people what they have decided upon. So um, I, was, I was auditioning for it. And Michael Levine, you know, vocal coach to everybody here, the music, sheet music god. He, I was working with him on the audition for Godspell. I was working on Bless the Lord. And he was like, and then, you know, it goes up to this A. And I'm like, yeah, I got that. And he's like, can you go one above that? And I'm like, I think so. So we did it. And then he's like, can you go one above that? And I'm like, I don't know. Let's try it. And I did. And I think I had messed around with whistle tones in high school because Mariah Carey was everything. And we all were trying to sing along. So I think we could do it. But it wasn't something was like I was going to take on until that I did that for my audition. Then I got the part. Then I was whistle toning every night. And then it was like a thing. So I think it was just an effort to bring more of my individuality to uh-huh. the table at a time where a lot of people, you know, Rent was really the only thing that was doing that, was being a pop musical at the time. So I thought I might be alienating myself, but I think it ended up being, you know, just, it, it made me, I mean, it's who I am. So I, I don't know. I think that um, what I always try to tell kids now is like, just bring who you are authentically to the table. Don't try to sing pop because I sing pop. Don't try to sing that way because someone else that looks like you sings that way you know just bring who you are to the table and ultimately it was just all in an effort to be different you know i mean i think that is so interesting because two questions when you were in college and you were starting to bring that to the to the front now you went to ccm Mm -hmm. one of the best programs in the world for musical theater and and they also have a voice program is that right correct but you were in the musical theater program i was in musical theater but when you're in musical theater you do have to train with uh, a voice voice program voice teacher yeah yeah did you get a lot of that reinforcement there of finding your best individuality or were they trying to like uh churn out like the best most castable for the time that's a tough question i don't think that we were being um uh, that we were being 
guided as like I don't think we were trying to be made into cookie cutter versions of each other mm-hmm. I think it's hard not to be like one another when you're together all day every day and you see what's working and getting attention and so you know the bigger beltier notes or the, the you know it's hard uh I think we all kind of melded into a certain style and then I think when we all got to the city we found our individual pockets you know it's hard because in college you're all competing for the same roles you're uh-huh. competing for I'm I'm playing a six-year-old woman I'm never gonna you know I'm playing <laughs> right. roles I'm never gonna play in the real world <laughs> right. but you get to in an educational setting it's fantastic and we're all competing for the same thing and we're all trying to you know be a chameleon and and, and morph ourselves into whatever the role is we're going for right which is amazing as far as like you know, an educational situation and, and being versatile, which I think is so important. However, when I got to the city, you know, it was very clear. Um, I'm not going to be Belle and Beauty and the Beast. You know what right, I mean? I'm not yeah, going to. Yeah, it's just yeah. uh-huh. not that I can't sing it, but right. I am very aware of it, what her heart is and what her energy is. And more than anything, it's not just about whether you can sing it or fit the costumes. It's like, what's your just authentic vibe? Yeah, yeah. I'm not Belle. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I did audition for it, though. I will have did you, know. you Yes, I was very excited. Um, didn't get it. <laughs> so, you know, I think uh, in an educational setting, like I said, it's hard not to uh, compete on a level where you want to be, you know, like other people. But um, I, I just think – but, I, you know, I've always just kind of tried to steer away from – the norm or what? Uh huh. Well, look, that's kind of my second question. Was like on the front of like you f- figuring out what your voice was at the time when shows were really starting to be written for people who could do that. Mm-hmm. Was it incredible? Like we saw a major shift in musical theater with mm-hmm. Rent. Mm-hmm. Was it amazing to be able to realize that like you had the goods for exactly what was hot at the time? Um. What's funny is whatever was hot at the time, I never got cast in. Is what's funny. Yeah. Um. It. But it did just so happen that. Uh, anything that existed, I wasn't really right for. But those things c- were created that I was right for. There couldn't have been a more perfect situation than being in the ensemble of Hairspray, which is a 60s musical where I could swing up to play the lead because I'm just, you know, right enough to be in the ensemble, but also tipped to the scales a little to the left enough to be able to be Tracy and Velma and Prudy. You know what I mean? So, so amazing I tried the to tracks tell kids, that you like, had in that show. Oh, yeah. So amazing. Yeah. But I try to tell kids, like, don't try to be what, um, uh, uh, be able to fit into what you see that exists now. You don't know what's coming. I could, yeah. you know, in in college they told me, you know, you got to lose twenty pounds. You'll never be an ingenue. You know, and the the stress and the the sort of um, anxiety that gets put on you. And then the roles I ended up playing were ingenues. They were non traditional ingenues. Right. Alphabet is very clearly an ingenue and yeah. a leading lady. But you don't have to look a certain way or be a certain type to play her. Yeah, you just have to have that heart and obviously, you know, somewhat of the vocal chops to be able to to pull it off eight times a week. But it's really just an energy, you yeah. know, a type, if you will. I hate that word. And then same with, with Tracy. That's an ingenue, a non-traditional ingenue. Totally. But those, you couldn't have told me those things would be coming down. I had to be in Mamma Mia. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That was the, that I wanted to be in the ensemble <laughs> yes. of Mamma Mia. You couldn't have told me that, that those things were coming down the pike, you know, had to be in Les Mis. I'm obsessed with you. <laughs> um, we got to get to the hairspray and the wicked because the kids are sick of listening to me ask you deep questions. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> this is this, this is the stuff they need to know. It's true because I hate. I just would hate for them to carry around this false belief for one more minute that they have to be a certain way or that like not believing that other things are coming. You know. <laughs> and now a few words from our sponsors. Do you wake up humming Hamilton and singing Sondheim? Do you dream of a place where there are Shakespeare flash mobs, Happy Birthday is sung in harmony, and surprise Broadway guests fill your world? 
At Stage Door Manor, kids from every state and six continents spend their summer totally immersed in the magic of theater. I'm sure almost all of you know that Stage Door Manor is the inspiration for Todd Graff's movie Camp and Mickey Rapkin's book Theater Geek. But did you know that you've seen plenty of their alums on stage, screen, and behind the scenes? Natalie Portman, Mandy Moore, Zach Braff, Robert Downey Jr., Sean Levy, and Janine Tesori all spent their summers in the Catskill Mountains of New York. Stage Door Manor produces an unbelievable 42 full-scale shows in eight on-campus theaters, and there are more than 100 classes at beginning and advanced levels, everything from playwriting to stage combat. If it's theater-related, they do it. Stage Door premieres include original stage versions of Rent, Avenue Q, Andrew Lippa's Wild Party, Woman in White, and High School Musical. Stage Door welcomes kids ages 10 to 18, and there are no auditions for admission. They accept all levels of experience and talent and find roles for students in shows where everyone can have his or her moment in the spotlight. Worth Magazine named Stage Door among the top 10 summer programs in the world, and it's been called the Hollywood High of Summer Camps by Playbill. No wonder sessions fill up quickly. Spots are almost gone for the summer, so hurry and go online to stagedoormanor.com for more info. Also, you guys, we're so excited to be sponsored by ContemporaryMusicalTheater.com. I love what they do, so here's the spot. Looking for that perfect song for summer stock auditions? Check out ContemporaryMusicalTheater.com. They're the largest online database of contemporary musical theater writers and songs. You'll find over 180 composers and lyricists and 550 songs, searchable by voice and song type. They have a whole range of contemporary musical styles, from songs that sound like they're from the golden age to pop rock musical theater. Auditioning for a season that includes Guys and Dolls, Avenue Q, and Spring Awakening? They've got you covered. Listen, purchase, and download great unpublished songs no one else is singing. And check out their blog for suggestions on awesome songs that will help you stand out from the hundreds of other performers up for the same roles. They also have cool articles about how to give a great audition. Visit ContemporaryMusicalTheater.com, and that's theater with an R-E, and use the code TPPL for 10% off an annual subscription. Are you a teacher? They now have institutional subscriptions available. So don't sing just any song. Sing something new. All right. Hairspray. How did hairspray happen? Um, well, funny story. I was out in Los Angeles. I had auditioned uh, for one of the workshops or readings for Tracy. And they were like, absolutely not. Um, and then, <laughs> Like, we're offended that you're here. No, I was like, why am I here? But okay, I'm offended I'm here. But okay. No. Um, so then I went out to LA at the top of, I guess that was 2002. This is January. And I'm like, I'm ready to leave New York. Um, I just want to do the music business. And I got a call from my agent to come back. There was a hairspray audition. And I was like, well, I'm in LA. I'm probably pretty much staying here. I'm not coming back for that audition. Then I got a call to come back and audition to sing Back Up for Mary J. Blige. And I was like, I'm on the next flight. <laughs> so I called my agent and I said, I'm coming back to do this Mary J. audition. While I'm there, I might as well go in for hairspray. So funny how God works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, he's totally. like, you won't come. Fine, I know how to get you back. <laughs> the Mary audition was a nightmare. Was it? Obviously didn't get that job. Uh. Oh, it was a nightmare. And then um, I went in for the Hairspray audition, and I've, I've never in my 30 years of being in this business had a more joyful, fun, communal experience at an audition in my wow. life. We danced, honey, we danced. Was it Jerry? It was Jerry, and it was the most fun. And also as someone who can dance but is not like an ensemble dancer, a chorus girl traditionally it was such perfect choreography for my body and what I do. It was athletic and it was energetic and it was, you know, 60s stuff. So there's really no technique to it. Um, and it fits my short little stocky body. You know what I mean? <laughs> it just was perfect. And 
it had a ball and it wasn't hard to just enjoy and, and be yourself and show who you are, which is ultimately what they want is who you are. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, you know, dance audition, sang the stuff, sang the Tracy stuff. Um, I think I came back for a callback, same sort of thing. And then, uh, I believe, you know, the next, that Friday night I got the call that I was doing it. And, um, this was for the out of town. This was for Broadway, everything. Cause oh, we wow. were, we were going straight from Seattle to Broadway. So it was for the whole meal deal. And it couldn't have been more perfect. The out-of-town tryout was in Seattle, which is I'm from Olympia. Yeah. Um, oh, right. So yeah, yeah. it's so funny how that works. That's why I always tell kids, like, you know, your perfect thing is going to be so perfect. <laughs> totally. Um, so, yeah, I was glad my debut wasn't Mamma Mia when Hairspray happened. Like <laughs> <laughs> and was it um, – was that like a – it seems like the most joyous company of people. Was yeah. it like that? It was indeed. And I think uh, – it was again. It's just one one of those magical things from the top down. Just Mark and Scott and Jack and Jerry and yeah. our producers who are that like family, like a sitcom. It, basically. <laughs> and, Mark um, and Scott and Jack and Jerry and the company that they assembled. I mean, those people are my family. Yeah, those are my best friends in the world. Wow. Um, there is a connection and uh, yeah, a connection that we have and relationships that we have that is like it's unlike any other experience I've ever had, and I think anyone else has ever had too. Yeah. Kind of a dark question, but like Hairspray is kind of credited with being the show that like revitalized theater after 9-11. Did you guys feel that? Was that a thing? Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Um, because people just needed dumb joy. They needed uh-huh. bright, colorful sequence, happiness. And and we gave them that, you know, and we felt it before we even came back to the city. We felt it from Seattle. Uh, I always get choked up. Oh no! Sorry. <laughs> no, everyone cries. Um, from Seattle, you know, after our first preview, which was a total disaster, the Corny Collins thing came in before the houses went out and everything crashed, and we had to stop the show, <laughs> the world premiere. We had to stop the show, and but we knew that night we were like, oh my god, because you know rehearsals are such a difficult process, and even though the show was basically done, there were struggling points like Velma's, you know, Baltimore Crabs moment and the opening mm-hmm. number. I just remember certain parts that were just so difficult to like nail there are certain things like nicest kids and without love it just was such an easy and the finale it's just like no brainer. yeah yeah certain things that were such a struggle and so we didn't know and we knew after that night and sure enough after that night the the pre-sales in new york were like off the charts so the second we came back we were welcomed like yeah freaking rock stars so i'm um, yeah absolutely Absolutely. Um, I wouldn't say we revitalized theater, but I think we, we filled – I think we gave people exactly what they needed at that time. And then you, and then you after you left um, – if my, chronolo- my my brain remembers this correctly. You, during that point, auditioned for Wicked, got cast in the original company but turned it down? Yeah, something like that. I auditioned for Nessa first, I think. Didn't get that. And then they had me come in actually to stand for the audition for the standby. Didn't get that, but from the standby audition, they said, you know, they offered the ensemble and the understudy, like the second oh. cover. And at that point, You're I like, was thinking no of leaving Hairspray anyway. Yeah. And you know, I know, I know what putting up a brand new show is, and I know what being an understudy is. And I was like, I can't do this again. I can't make a lateral move. Essentially, um, I want to make records. So yeah. uh, I left Hairspray, moved down to Florida to make records, and then um, like four months later, got called to come standby. Eden was leaving for Brooklyn. Yeah. And they needed a new standby. And I'm like, that I can do. I can be paid to like be near the building and still write my music and still <laughs> right, fly to yeah. Florida on the weekends or whatever. Um, yeah. But then very quickly, I was like, oh, no, I want to do this. <laughs> I want to take over. I want this role. I want to do this. I How wanna... long were you standing by before you did take over? Uh, three months. Four oh, months. That, that's it? Yeah. I came in, in uh, at the end of August 
and she left in January. And she had like an accident or something in like the last. Oh yeah, the last night or the two nights before. So she was her last show was a Sunday matinee. She fell Saturday matinee. Ugh. Did you ever encounter ever anything like that? I Lindsay no. told me once that she got like nailed on the head with the trap door. No. Oh, well, me personally injured? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. Uh, there was just one, I think, and it was my own fault because uh, I wasn't paying attention. There's a very specific uh, place you need to stand when you come up on the lift and no good deed um, uh, where your feet need to be, and I wasn't paying attention, and my heels were too far back. So they got caught between the stage and the lift. So the lift comes up and just pressed my heels in between the stage and the lift. And it doesn't have a sensor or anything like that. Oh, my God. So what happened? Just kept pressing. Well, I was screaming. I was like, stop, stop my heel. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. <laughs> like just in the middle. But <laughs> I'm sorry. That's I, I, I don't know, know why I'm terrible. laughing. That's awful. It's terrible. Did it stop the show? Uh, it's, I made them stop the show because I couldn't get my foot out. So there would have been no moving on. You just do the rest of the show right from there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, the conductor is watching me. And he doesn't have a fight. You know. Yeah. Because this is the year. This is the economic. So he might have thought I was just being dramatic. And, um, <laughs> well, yeah, they really had to stop the tonight. show. They took me up. They put me in my flats. Um, it was just bruised. I didn't really actually do any damage. The heel of the boot saved me. Is anyone mad when that happens? No one was mad. Uh, I don't recall anyone being mad. They could have because it was my own fault, just not paying attention. Yeah. Um, and then one time I fell in the pit, but I didn't actually hurt myself. It was just like I had too much momentum going down that ramp, that oh. rake, and I just ran <laughs> yeah. right into the net. But gratefully, the net held my weight um, because it was just really meant to catch props so they don't nail a orchestra member if they happen to fly out of someone's hands. Oh, my God. A rake or a lantern. So you could have like, actually fallen into the pit. Uh, I could have if I had broken the net, but gratefully, it was strong enough to hold me. Was oh not meant to hold more than like probably 10, 15 pounds. You guys, this business is serious. Yeah, you Did, gotta serious. pay attention, man. You can really, <laughs> you can really get hurt. Did you get to go on much before you got bumped up? Yeah, I went on. Um, Are you so tired of talking about Wicked that you can no, kill yourself? No, no? not okay. at all. I went on. Uh, once she got sick, she was filming Enchanted, I think, or something like oh. that. So she got, she was run down and she got sick. Before her vacation, she, there was a week I knew I was going to have in October or something like that. And right before that, she got sick. So then I had that, and then I had a week, and then um, yeah, there were a couple other times I went on a fair amount, uh, you know. And then was it a was it a foregone conclusion that when she leaves, you're going to get no, it? Or do you have to audition? I didn't audition, but they were holding auditions, so that was hard because I had already been like, I want to do it. So they held their auditions and. Um, you know, I I think ultimately they they really wanted to have Eden back was I think their oh. plan. So they were kind of trying to be like, can you just like do it for January and then when Eden comes back? And I was like, <laughs> I mean, I get you know, and I think what ultimately ended up happening, and this is I I've never actually shared this before, but I uh, say it only to to encourage people that um, there is an amount of irreverence and, and a letting go that is really powerful. So prior to um, to when I'm in the fight for like, I want this role I'm going on. And I, you know, the week she was gone is like my big moment to prove yeah. myself. And you know, they're like, Oh, that's good. <laughs> and then when I found out like they're, what they really want is to have Eden back. Um, I just was like, fuck it. I'm, I'm going to, you know, like yeah. this is not my future. I'm going to leave after my six months are up. I'll probably take my vacation at the five month mark so I can actually leave at the five month mark. You know, like yeah. I came here to, you know, I did my six months. I'm going to go back to making music. And so there was a, just a disconnect for me, not a disconnect from the material or the show, but just a fearlessness. Yeah. I wasn't trying to prove anything or win anybody over. And she was out one night in actually December 
and Mark Platt happened to be in the audience. And I just went on and did my thing with no fear. I didn't think anyone was there. I wasn't, I just was like, I'm just doing my job. And, uh, that he called everybody else and was like, this is it. This is our girl. Wow. And I got the offer. I think the next day, (gasps) actually Harvey, fucking Harvey, (laughs) Harvey called and was like, cookie. I was like, what? He's like, uh, what did he say? Harvey Firestein? Yeah, he was like, are you sitting down? How did he know? Exactly. <laughs> and I was like, no, but I, I was up in my dressing room at Wicked with Megan in our standby dressing room. And he, he was like, are you sitting down? And I was like, no, 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 no. My agent called. I'm calling him. I don't want you. I don't, I saw my agent. I don't want to. And so I called my agent. He was like, yo. So. Uh, so, okay. You do your time in Wicked and then you go make music. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did my time in Wicked. I had about six months off after I finished on Broadway. I went on the tour for four or five five months with Megs. And then right after that, I moved to L.A. I made a lot of music on the tour. I was writing and recording a lot with my, you know, garage band. I would finish a show and come home and stay up till two and three just working on music. And then, then, yeah, I moved to L.A. and just made my first record. And And did you – was it always going to be released on your own label? Was that always your want? No, I'm a 90s kid. I wanted a big label with the big budget and the big – you know, I wanted to be a fucking J-Lo, you know, (laughs) Mariah Carey. So, no, it was not the intention. But I also knew that I wasn't just going to sit around and wait and I wasn't going to – I was technically with the label and with management and I just – I didn't want to do the waiting game it was more important to me to create and put it out. So um, it was never my intention, but. But then you start making your own stuff and it's like super successful. Uh, that's really generous, <laughs> but it's successful enough that like I've, you know, I've had a career and, and made a living for the past, how many years since I was on Broadway? 10, wow. 11. So um, to that end, I would say it's, it's, and it's been successful. And now that I travel the world and perform around the world and see the reach and some of it, I don't even know. Like I was with a friend in London who was like, do you know I was in Spain in a gay bar and they were playing your superhero record? And I was like, in London in a gay bar and they were playing, um, uh, cold Turkey, the video. See yeah. that kind of shit. Like no one ever tells me that stuff. Yeah. So I would never know. And that's when I'm like, Oh my God. Are you friends with Queen Latifah? Um, <laughs> friends with, uh, I consider her a friend. I mean, we don't have regular communication by any means, but when I see her, it's all love. And, you know, she brought me on her show and like, you know, we've had many a cool hang. Best known to you guys for blowing away Broadway audiences as Alpha Bun, the smash hit musical Wicked. But she's known to me and a bunch of my friends as the girl who tears it down. Here to perform her hit single, Runaway Train. Please welcome Shoshana B. Can we talk about cold turkey because we're obsessed yeah, with it? Sure. I love it so much. You write all of your own songs, right? I do. I co-write some too, but uh-huh. um, 
Eden was just giving me shit about this yesterday. She's like, why are you so hyped on co-writing? You already know your, they're your best stuff you did by yourself. <laughs> Where did, I just love cold turkey and I love the video and Thank it like, you. the video is incredible. It looks Jamal like, Sims, man. Who, did he directed it? He directed, choreographed, paid for it, did everything. I was going to ask you, like, where All did you Jamal. get the money to do that? Well, because Jamal Sims is revered and respected and so fucking adored that he was like, I want to be a director. I want people to see that I can direct, not just choreograph. Can I do it with you? Can I do it with your song? And I'm like, you can do whatever you want with yeah. my body, with the song. With, no. <laughs> I'm, I want one like Jamal Sims, yeah. please, God. Mm-hmm. So um, he just, I think whatever he came out of pocket was minimal because he just, everyone will do anything for Jamal and the relationships. That's a testament to how important relationships are. Yeah. Just because people respect him and love him so much, like he pulled a full on crew together. Wow. Full crew. And it was a beautiful video. Oh, it's gorgeous. Far more beautiful than anything I'll probably ever be able to have again. <laughs> um, but yeah, he did it all because he wanted to have that for his reel. And I'll never uh, be able to express my my humility and my gratitude and just how much it blew. I sobbed the whole way home because I couldn't believe what he did. And yeah. it was, you know. So gorgeous. Yeah, thank you. So what's coming up? What what when what are we what are we getting from you? Oh my gosh. Um I have a single coming out, I think probably next month. It's done, it's mixed. We have a couple tweaks to make, master it and whatever. I'm very excited about that song. I love this song so much. It's called One Way to Go and it's coming out next month. And um I think I'll be back in the studio probably this summer working on number four. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, like I said, I'm just so open and I just love that every day of my life is different whether I'm in a session or whether I'm writing or performing or doing concerts or doing something that has to do with theater um and I really love mostly just the people that I get to work with and encounter on every project so yeah I'm I'm open and every day I it's a new email in the inbox of a new adventure and a new possibility so uh, I'm gonna get in trouble if I don't ask you a little bit about Beaches and Funny Girl yeah, yeah. do you have well you have to do Funny Girl which at, at North Shore Music Theater which I love I'm from Massachusetts oh was it a dream for you to get to do the role beyond to the point that I literally would be in the rehearsal every day like you're fucking doing it you're doing it this is you're actually staging you're staging this right now you're actually doing it this is it this is your costume fitting this i because i was like i couldn't believe you know something that i've wanted for most of my life um was happening it was beyond like it was actually what they say when they say dreams come true like it just Mm -hmm. i was actually doing something that i had legitimately dreamed about planned for put on my vision boards meditated on like it was happening wow and i don't think that a specific dream in that way had ever come true for me did it live up to the hype in the fantasy for you yeah yeah and i was really grateful that i had never had the opportunity to do it before then because i just don't think i would have been capable um, and understood her the way that I so intimately understand her now as a grown woman who's lived <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> through a few things. And what about beaches? Is, is it what's happening? I'm not sure. I mean, I have some information, but I don't, you know, I'm obviously not at liberty to speak and I certainly don't ever want to speak until there's signed paperwork, but yeah, um, yeah. there are some possibilities for a future for beaches and, and um, yeah. Did you like taking on that role? I did before funny girl, you know, I thought this is as close to Fanny Bryce as I'm ever going to get. Yeah, like being of able to be this this much of myself. And same with Cece. Like I remember being in rehearsal and being like, yo, this is a beating. Like I, I don't know where she ends and I begin. Like we're so similar. And so much of what I was going through at that point in my life was so spot on to what goes on in the show with her and her character. And it was just like, it was super powerful. And it was my first like 
coming back to the theater in, you know, 10 years at that point. So yeah. it was, it, it just, there was no better way to come back than to like take on a meaty, yeah, yeah. comedic and emotional and big sing and we were dancing. Like it was everything and it was, it felt good. Oh, Shoshana Bean, I can't believe we got to finally do this. Thank you for sitting down with me. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're a dream. I want your coat. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Bye. All right, you guys, before we close out this week's show, I wanted to take a minute for a chat with my pal, Feinstein's 54 Below's Jennifer Ashley Tepper. She's producing a really fun show in March, and she just released a new book, so I thought now would be a good time to chat about both. Hi, Jen Tepper. Hi, what up? I cannot believe that you haven't been on Theater People yet. I am so excited to be on Theater People and to talk to you. Well, I was just going to say welcome, but welcome to your office. Welcome to my office. (laughs) (laughs) All right, tell the people what you do for a living, and then let's get specific and talk about a show. I am the director of programming at Feinstein's 54 Below, as well as the author of the Untold Stories of Broadway book series. And now we want I am we are gathered here today to talk about a specific show that you have coming up. Um, yes, I'm so excited to talk to you about this. It's called Rachel Lily Rosenblum and Don't You Ever Forget It. Um, and it is one of seven Broadway musicals that ever closed during previews. It's never been done since it closed after a week at the Broadhurst in 1973. And after a lot of conversations with um, Paul Jabara, who wrote the show's family, uh, we have gotten permission to bring it back in concert form on March 13th. Wow. Who was in it then? Who's in it now? Um, Super exciting. So Ellen Green played the lead. (gasps) On Broadway? Yes. And this was Ellen Green has the distinction of being the only person in history to star in two Broadway musicals that closed in previews. So uh, (laughs) sorry sorry for sweet, talented Ellen Green. Um, But Ellen Green, it was pre, you know, her being anyone. It was pre Little Shop. It was pre all of that. So she had never been on Broadway before. um, And this was her big debut. And she was playing Rachel A. Rosenblum. The role was originally written for Bette Midler. um, And Paul Jabara, who wrote the show, um, you know, it was his dream to write Broadway's first disco musical, so it's this crazy disco campy romp, um, which he wrote with Tom Ian, who later went on to write Dreamgirls. And Paul Jabara, um, you know, he was a kid who was like a Broadway baby. He was in Hair. He was in Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, and he wrote this show. And it, it obviously, you know, did not have the life he wished it to have. But he later went on to become a huge disco success. He wrote Last Dance. He wrote It's Raining Men. Um, he won like Grammys. Um, and he sadly died at 44 um, of AIDS. And so it's this like amazing project for it was like his big passion project that no one really ever got to see in his lifetime in the way he wanted it to so we're really honored to bring it back um it also starred like a, a huge amazing group of people Anita Morris was in it um Andre De Shields uh, Michonne Peacock like uh oh my god uh Kelly Bishop like all these amazing people Tony Stevens wow yeah what is it bad um so it's it's hard to like actually Okay, so it's fascinating and it's weird and it's crazy and a lot of parts of it sound like they were written on a ton of drugs, but like we were, the director, Max Friedman and I were very honored because they gave us like basically four versions of the script, a really early version, a version after some workshopping, a version at the beginning of rehearsals, and I guess what they think they might have ended up with on the last preview. And so the versions differ so greatly, so it's kind of like getting inside those creative minds um, without having them actually with us um, and seeing how the show evolved and got crazier in certain ways, got 
less coherent in other ways and um, just trying to piece it together into a concert evening. But it has so much to recommend it. Like, it's super fun. Like, if you, if this opened today, like downtown, you'd be like, this is a crazy fun show. Um, It's just, I mean, it was super campy. Like, there were all of these, like, kind of, um, I don't know even how to describe them. It was like its own genre of off-Broadway show at the time in the 70s that everything had an exclamation point in it. And, like, I, I don't even know what to call that genre, but it was this very, like, campy off-Broadway type of show that somehow made it to the Broadhurst and probably wasn't exactly what people expected of a Broadway show. Wow. Now, okay, so who's in your production? Uh, Bonnie Milligan is playing Rachel Lee Rosenblum, who she's unbelievable. You might know her from Kinky Boots or uh, God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater. But every time she plays here, it's just like the roof is literally raised. She's unbelievable. Uh, Jeremy Morse, who's amazing, is playing the male lead. Um, Julia Madison is playing one of the other leads. Um, our cast also has Kevin Michael Murphy, Jason Vesey, Charlie Franklin, Larry Owens, Natalie Walker, and Catherine Allison. Yes. Um, when is it happening? March 13th at 7 and 9.30. Um, and it's also, you know, like the score is so fun. I think people who come on March 13th are going to be like, this is the guy who wrote Last Dance and It's Raining Men, but he wrote a Broadway show before that. All right, let's talk about your books. Yay. Okay, your newest book is called Untold Stories of Broadway, Volume 3, right? That is true. And, okay, tell, tell the people what the Untold Stories of Broadway series is and then what, what's in this one. Uh, so each volume of Untold Stories of Broadway takes uh, eight Broadway theaters and it takes you through, the, through their history um, through people's personal stories and memories who I've interviewed. So I've interviewed about 250 Broadway professionals from actors and directors and producers to stagehands and musicians and uh, company managers and doormen, people who don't get interviewed as often. And basically when you pick up a book, you're reading seven Broadway theaters that are currently existing and then one that's been lost or demolished. And it takes you from the earliest year I could get a story from through today, um, giving you anecdotes about everything from like opening night to this was the craziest thing that happened on stage to when this famous person came to see the show to, you know, this is what this musical meant to my career, um, all interspersed also with like discoveries I made about the theater itself and kind of knitting each chapter together of like, wow, this happened in the orchestra pit of the Richard Rogers in 1940. This happened in the orchestra pit of the Richard Rogers in 2008. And like, how does everyone connect through these Broadway theaters? What is a story that stands out to you from your current volume? That's a great one. Um, so in this volume, we have the Belasco, which is widely you know, known to be a haunted theater. And one of my favorite things was hearing from people um, like Laura Linney and Fritz Weaver that they were all seeing, they all saw the same ghost at the Belasco. Um, there's actually two ghosts that people claim to see. And without any of these people I interviewed kind of talking to each other, a lot of the ghosts had like these similar characteristics, which, you know, you could say as a number of things, like this is a legend that's been passed down. But everyone had these really specific ghost stories. And um, Fritz Weaver's was during like he did the Crucible there and he like looked up and saw a ghost one day and the way that these people tell it it's just very haunted and very um creepy um so that's like one story but there's just a lot in this book what's your favorite theater wait i think i know this it's the one that was the alvin that is now the what (laughs) the neil simon um i used to say that was my favorite theater it's where merrily was and like god knows there's a lot of merrily in my books and it's my favorite show um but the more i study these theaters the more i'm like oh my god like i love that theater it's hard to pick a favorite after i've spent so much time with each of them what I was asking my husband about this the other day. Why haven't they? Why haven't they done Merrily on Broadway again? I think like it's a magical thing because it's almost happened a number of times. I think that that encore's production with Lin Manuel and Colin Donnell and um, Celia Keenan Bolger. Oh my God, so good! And Betsy Wolf. Um, it was unbelievable, and I wouldn't have been surprised if it transferred. And I think it wasn't the right timing, and everyone in it had other projects going on. Um, and then you had you know the West End production, which was very acclaimed and which had that amazing um recording of it. 
it. So there have been kind of all these almost, and there's Michael Arden's production kicking around right now. And I think that like in our lifetime, we will see Merrily be revived probably at Roundabout. Um, and it'll be one of these productions, just nothing's been exactly right yet. And I think that for this show, which is so beloved, but with such a, you know, legendary not success in its first run, not success in some ways and success in others, um, it, they want it to be perfect when it comes back. And it's almost like Merrily's never going to be perfect. So like <laughs> at some point it will come back anyway. Well, Jen Tepper, I love you so much. I love you too. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. I think these are all so great. Like I'm obsessed with listening to you and I can't wait to listen to both of us. <laughs> yes, me too. That'll be so fun. All right, we'll talk soon. Bye. Talk to you soon. Bye. Yesterday is done. See the pretty countryside. Theater People is a product of Theater Podcast Productions and is produced by Mike Jensen and me, Patrick Hines. I edited this episode. Thanks again to this week's sponsors, Stage Door Manor. They are currently accepting applications for their summer acting programs. You can check them out at stagedoormanor.com and contemporarymusicaltheater.com. Is your audition book growing mold? Join contemporarymusicaltheater.com and remember what it was like to enjoy singing. Use the code TPPL for 10% off an annual subscription. Special thanks to our Patreon associate producers, Robbie Roselle, Ty Williams, and Cynthia Wallach, and to Steve Tipton, Eric Emsch, Keith Allen Herzog, Ellen Marsh, and the staff at Oswald's. We'll be back next week with Leslie Kritzer. Until then, tell your friends about us. Let's get the theater community talking. Turn around and go back and your dream. How does it happen? Where is the moment? How can you miss it? Isn't it clear? How can you let it slip out of gear? How did you ever get there from here? You How does it happen? you get to be here what was the moment how did you get to be here pick yourself a road get to know the countryside soon enough you're merrily merrily practicing dreams dreams that will explode waking up the countryside Making you feel merrily, merrily What can go wrong? Rolling along Some roads are soft and some are bumpy Some roads you really fly Some rides are rough and leave you jumpy Why make it tough by getting grumpy? Plenty of roads to try
Christmas.